At Baptist Health, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. You've been battling fatigue and okay, so you've been working hard. Now you have abdominal pain and vomiting and you think it's a stomach bug. But discolored urine, a change in stool color follow, and now you're really worried and get in with the doctor. Unfortunately, the blood test comes back with a diagnosis you never thought of. Left untreated chronic hepatitis C can cause serious health problems, including liver damage, liver cancer, and even death. CDC estimates more than 2 million people in the United States have hepatitis C, and those numbers don't include the other forms of hepatitis, which are fairly common. Here to talk with us about the viral nature of hepatitis is Dr. Seth Rosen, gastroenterologist and part of the Baptist Health family. And of course, I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco, Chief Population Health Officer for Baptist Health. Welcome to the podcast, Seth. Thank you very much, John. So Seth, let's dive right into it. Um, the word hepatitis gets thrown out quite a bit. Talk a little bit at a high level, um, you know, what is hepatitis and, and maybe differentiate the different causes of hepatitis. And obviously for the purposes of this podcast, we'll be talking about um, the viral causes. So give us a little overview first. So hepatitis, the word itself, simply means inflammation in the liver. And there are a multitude of different causes of, quote, hepatitis, again, inflammation in the liver. But for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to talk about the viral uh, hepatitis. And those most commonly are hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C. Uh, and those are the things that we see most commonly in the community and in practice. And when people hear the word hepatitis, that is usually what they're thinking of. And those are different viruses that cause hepatitis A, B, and C, or is it different effects on the liver? Talk a little bit about those three main, right, so most common They ones. are three distinct viruses. Hepatitis A is uh, something that you get by eating or drinking uh, something contaminated, food or water. It is sometimes found in water supplies. It is sometimes found in, uh, passed on in restaurants by restaurant workers. Um, and it's what's called, uh, uh, it's what gives you jaundice. Uh, you get very yellow. You get fatigued, as you mentioned. Um, you can have fevers. And it's often called infectious hepatitis. Seth, is that the one, and maybe we're dating ourselves, that we used to think about with seafood more commonly, or is that kind of a wives' tale? Uh, that is present in seafood, again, because of water. Uh, it's also, periodically, you'll hear about a rash of hepatitis cases coming from people who ate at a particular restaurant. Um, but uh, certainly, uh, you can get it from seafood, from mollusks, uh, such as clams and oysters, if they are raw. And that one is generally um, felt to be less long-term dangerous, or let's let's take them each one one at a time. What's that is, hepatitis A? Yeah, that is generally self-limited in that you will usually recover. The vast vast majority of people recover. There's approximately five percent of people who will develop very severe call, uh, illness called fulminant hepatitis, and that can be a life-threatening disease. That is a very small number. And even most of those patients will recover with uh, good supportive care. So the risk of dying from hepatitis A is 
very low, and even the risk of serious illness is relatively low, but it can hang around for several weeks of yellowness, of jaundice, and you will feel very poorly for... Uh, so for it's, it's still pretty miserable. It's not something we want to take lightly. Absolutely. And you can pass it along to other people. So one of the recommendations is don't prepare food for other people, careful hand washing and things of that nature. So let's talk about hepatitis B. I remember that was the scourge when, when, when we were in our medical residency and training. Talk a little bit about hepatitis B. So hepatitis B is what is often called serum hepatitis or used to be called serum hepatitis. That is spread by blood, body fluids, sexual activity, uh, needles. Um, it is common uh, in, in people who use needles, uh, uh, such as uh, drug users. Um, it used to be a problem with blood transfusions many years ago until they had a good screening test for, for it for our blood supply. Uh, that is no longer an issue, certainly not in this country anyway. Um, we have had uh, vaccines uh, for hepatitis B for uh, close to 40 years now. Um, Boy, and, I, remember, uh, I remember when they first came out. I'm, I guess I really am old. You and I were in medical school when we got vaccinated. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> and it is, a, in general, a lifelong vaccine. Um, hepatitis B uh, has two different outcomes. One is you can get sick and then get better, or hepatitis B can become chronic. And that leads to its own problems. That can lead to cirrhosis of the liver, which is scarring of the liver. Uh, it increases the risk of liver cancer. Um, but only of people who contract hepatitis B acutely, only a minority will become develop chronic hepatitis B. The majority of people with a good immune system will get rid of it. There's also hepatitis B that is passed what we call vertical transmission, which is mother to child, often uh, or generally during childbirth. And that is seen uh, traditionally in the uh, Far East. Um, and that also increases the risk for uh, chronic hepatitis cirrhosis, and uh, uh, cancer of the liver, hepatocellular carcinoma. So A and B are not to be taken lightly. Um, true fulminant, uh, true symptomatic infections can be somewhat problematic and can, especially with B, go on to more, more significant concerns. Um, but let's get into C now. What makes hepatitis C unique and why do we as the medical, pra medical practitioner space spend so much time uh, about in uh, the hepatitis C space? Hepatitis C was a big problem during the 1980s and 90s and early 2000s, uh, up until we had good treatment for it. And about um, a dozen years ago, maybe a little less, we uh, were uh, graced with excellent treatment for hepatitis C. But for a long time, it was very, very difficult to treat. Uh, it often becomes chronic leading to cirrhosis, and uh, as a result, increases the risk of cancer of the liver. Hepatitis C is also blood and body secretions. Uh, it's very common with needles, with, again, with blood transfusions. Uh, we have a screening test for it. Our blood supply is safe. Um, 
it is it is still prevalent in um, people who utilize uh, needles for drug drug use, but uh, the the prevalence in our community has gone down. There is still hepatitis C out there, but the prevalence among the general population has gone down significantly in a large part because of our blood supply being safer and also because of needle exchange programs and things of that nature that have made people safer uh, from hepatitis C. But that is still out there and it's still a problem because of its propensity to become chronic. How, how um, are the three diagnosed? Uh, again, I presume it's a blood test that's sent and it determines which one, if anyone may has. And the second part of that is, are you in particular in your practice with your expertise seeing a, a decrease in hepatitis C cases? I, I'll answer the second part first. The incidence of hepatitis C in our community practice has plummeted over the last 10 years or so, five to seven years. And you think it's because of various public health initiatives? Like I think, it, yes, I think it's a combination of things. Number one, we had suddenly had very good treatment that was well tolerated and very effective. And so a lot of the people who had hepatitis C got treated and also. And then they, so they wouldn't transmit it to other people over time. Correct. And also because of things like public health initiatives, needle exchange programs, our blood supply is much safer. Uh, For a long time, they said, well, hepatitis C was prevalent in the baby boomers, people born uh, between 1945 and 1965. I think that was more a function of sampling uh, error and it depended on lifestyle for some of those people, but there was nothing specific about that age that, uh, that put people at risk. As far as testing for hepatitis, there are very good blood tests, uh, to determine hepatitis A, hepatitis B and hepatitis C. And in the cases of hepatitis A and B, you can even determine immunity status, and whether uh, it's a new infection or an old infection. Hmm. So unpack that a little bit. So if you do a a blood test on people, you may find they've had hepatitis, um, um, let's say, B in the past, but they're currently not infectious. Is that what we're saying? Or active? That is correct. You can find that people have had hepatitis B and they are now, uh, it resolved, as most cases of acute hepatitis B do. And they are, they have immunity to it. Uh, there's a couple of uh, offbeat exceptions to that. And that's if people are going to get chemotherapy or other medications that affect their immune system. But as a general rule, once you've had hepatitis A, you're immune for life. Once you've had hepatitis B, you're immune for life. Uh, if you have hepatitis C and it resolves, you're immune for life. One thing I didn't mention with hepatitis A is just as there is with hepatitis B, there's an excellent vaccine for hepatitis A. And I would strongly encourage everyone to get hepatitis A vaccination. It's two shots over six months, and there is no way to protect yourself from hepatitis A, because as I've told people, if you eat in the wrong restaurant at the wrong time, you can contract hepatitis A. The vaccine for hepatitis B is also a lifelong immunity. It's very effective. And it's a good idea, even if you're not in a high risk group. Hepatitis so, C, as of yet, we do not have a vaccination for. Um, I want to get into a couple of quick questions before we end uh, the conversation. But just, just to clarify something again, from my own understanding. So if someone goes to their doctor and says, I'd like to be, va- well, first place, 
are the primary care doctors generally recommending hepatitis B vaccines? And if they are, do you do a blood test first to determine if you're already immune or that's not part of the workflow, if you will? Uh, many of us will do uh, blood tests for hepatitis A and B and see if people are immune before sending them for vaccination. However, there is no harm to being to receiving the vaccination, even yeah. if you're already immune either from infection or prior vaccination. So one take home point, because while it's out there in the community and, and doctors are aware of it and, you know, uh, preventing it with vaccines, it might be something that listeners can actually um, uh, ask their doctors about it if they haven't already received vaccines or discussions about vaccines for A and B, right? Here, absolutely. And you can, these vaccines are available at all the usual places, the, the minute clinics, the uh, drug stores, uh, and the vaccines for A and B are readily available. Good. Um, a couple of quick questions now. So we, we alluded to them earlier, but what are the general symptoms of hepatitis? And more importantly, since some of them might be vague, fatigue and abdominal pain, when should someone say, wait a minute, I, I better get checked out because it might be a little more than just a stomach bug or, or a routine uh, a virus? The symptoms are frequently nonspecific, but if you have a dull ache in your right upper abdomen, uh, if you have some nausea, uh, you have some fevers, usually not terribly high, low-grade fevers. Uh, you may have a loss of appetite. And the hallmark of acute hepatitis is always jaundice, yellow eyes, yellow skin, dark urine. What makes the urine dark? That's a buildup of bilirubin in the blood that gets filtered by the kidneys. And so the livers you are, you're considered infectious until that goes away. Ah, okay, that's an important point as well. Um, so now just, just real-world questions. Um, South Florida, mosquitoes, there are viral illnesses transmitted by mosquitoes. Is hepatitis C one of the ones that we see um, um, you know, transmitted by uh, insects? No. Um, hepatitis, none of the hepatitises have been reportedly uh, transmitted by mosquitoes. Um, again, hepatitis A is something that you get when you eat something, hepatitis B and C are blood and body fluids. Uh, however, uh, they are not transmitted by mosquitoes. So by body fluids, sexual contact can transmit B and C? Hepatitis B, uh, sexual transmission is not uncommon. Hepatitis C can be transmitted sexually, although it is very uncommon. So fair enough. Um, and you mentioned acute hepatitis and, and talk a little about the difference between acute and chronic hepatitis. So. Uh, acute hepatitis is as we talked about. Chronic hepatitis is often picked up on blood tests where the liver blood tests are abnormal, and that promotes a uh, a uh, an evaluation, uh, blood tests, and sometimes an ultrasound of the liver, a sonogram of the liver, uh, to further evaluate it. But the majority of people who get hepatitis will resolve their infection. Uh, uh, by on their own and fortunately go on to recover. So just to clarify, people could come into your office, my office, uh, a primary care office and feel fine. And we may find with testing, they've had hepatitis and now they're immune. So that's one pathway. Do we find people who act, have chronic hepatitis, but no other evidence of symptoms? And, and if so, how frequent is that? It's uh, part of the uh, causes of elevated liver enzymes, elevated liver blood tests, abnormal liver blood tests, 
And some of those people will have hepatitis, chronic hepatitis B or chronic hepatitis C. However, there are a lot of different reasons why liver tests go up, which is, is a topic for a different uh, discussion. But some of those people will have uh, either chronic B or chronic C. So to our um, excellent producer, Michael Justice, let's let's put that for a podcast for the future, which I think would be well received, which is the, the, the significance of elevated liver enzymes. Really common, really confusing, and that would be worthwhile as well. But not to get into that for here. So uh, last few questions. If someone has any of these forms of hepatitis, maybe go through A, B, and C, can they get it again if it's already been passed? You mentioned immune, et cetera. So, you know, can someone get reinfected? If they have resolved A, they do not get in, reinfected. Uh, that is why the vaccinations work for immunity. If they have resolved B, for the purposes of this conversation, they will not get it again. Again, that is why the shot, the vaccinations work for immunity. Uh, hepatitis C, we don't have a vaccination, but if you've had hepatitis C and, you, and it's resolved, it doesn't, you do not get it again. But if someone has uh, immunocompromised, as you said, you listed a couple of conditions, then, you then, do want them to be extra cautious. Then uh, have, yeah, and there are some special situations for hepatitis B. But uh, for people who have resolved hepatitis B and C, uh, for all practical purposes, they are done with that. Um, and uh, But if they become, have chronic hepatitis, then they need regular follow-up. So this has been excellent, Seth. You've given us great insights into both uh, the significance of viral hepatitis um, from uh, uh, infringement upon one lifestyle, and well as um, risk for cancers and cirrhosis and other conditions, and uh, elaborated on the differences between A, B, and C, and how to approach them. Um, last question, just to be complete, what are some of the other general kinds, uh, large headings, if you will, of hepatitis, just so the listeners don't necessarily get confused when they hear that term. We're talking about viral hepatitis, a virus that gets transmitted. What if are the other limit, types of terms? Yeah. If we limit ourselves to viral hepatitis, and again, the term hepatitis simply means inflammation of the liver, and it's a very broad term. But if we talk about viral hepatitis, the alphabet now goes uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And D, E, F, and G are much less common. Uh, they are in either specific subpopulations or they're in specific geographic areas of, of the world. And so they're much less common, uh, for a variety of reasons, but they are out there. Geez. Again, I remember when they just discovered hepatitis B, Seth, and, uh, maybe we'll be lucky enough to li live long enough. They'll get to hepatitis S and T. And, <laughs> you know. Um, and just what, what just, Quickly define last comment. What is a chemical hepatitis? A chemical hepatitis is any type of external compound that it could be a medication, it could be a toxin that causes inflammation in the liver. And it could be uh, the compound or the drug causing the inflammation itself, or it could be the body's reaction to the blood to the compound and the immune system of the body causing the inflammation in the liver. So, uh, so then it gets it gets to a very complex situation. But uh, again, there are a variety of things that can cause inflammation in the liver and and cause rising uh, liver blood tests. 
So that'll be the next podcast, like we said, liver enzyme elevations. This is great, Seth. Any final comments or anything you want to reiterate or any points you want to make um, that we didn't uh, touch on? Yes, I would like to just uh, impress on people how important it is to get vaccinated. In today's world, uh, babies and children are vaccinated for hepatitis A and B, but I would encourage any adult uh, who's unsure of their immunity or vaccination status to uh, either get tested to find out or just to pursue vaccination because it is these are preventable diseases that you don't want to get. Great information, Seth. And again, appreciate your time and your expertise uh, in, in leading this discussion. Um, and to our listeners, if you like what you've heard on this or any of our other podcasts, please be sure to tell a friend or a family member about us. If you have a comment or a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you and thanks for listening. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health, the warmer side of care.